Momentum is an interesting thing. Acceleration. Growth. An impending feeling of moving forward. These are things I'm experiencing each time we have the podcast. And with guest after guest, I feel like I'm growing, becoming uh, much more of a person who is seeing things from a wider perspective. And I hope as an audience that you guys are seeing that as well. I'm fortunate to come across some wonderful souls on a regular basis. And the next one that you're going to hear from is Sarah Dagwelli. Sarah is originally from Istanbul, uh, but currently residing in Amsterdam. Uh, Sarah is uh, a yoga instructor, uh, long-term um, practitioner of, of yoga, and we had a very interesting conversation, one that was very conceptual-based, human behavior-based, uh, just really a deeper understanding of who we are as human beings and how we function in our society and how we want to function as we move forward as human beings. So if you're interested in diving deep and hearing some interesting questions and hopefully answering those questions for yourself while you're listening, then I encourage you to continue on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, if you enjoy, please spread it to other people and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And I thank you. I'm grateful for your listening. So as we move forward, as, create, as we create momentum and acceleration, please listen to Sarah Dockwelly. So well, thank you for joining me on the podcast today, Sarah. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate the call. Yeah, so I came across your profile and I was very interested in just what you're up to. It looks like you're very immersed in the yoga world and I wanted to chat about that. Plus, I enjoy learning about different people from different parts of the planet. So you're in the Netherlands? Yeah, I'm based in Amsterdam. Fantastic. So have you lived there your entire life? No, I've been here for nine years. And before that, I was living in Istanbul. Istanbul. Wow. Are you yeah. originally from there? Yes, I am. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's, I don't think I've ever met anybody from Istanbul before. No? Okay. And where are you based? <laughs> I am in Washington, Washington State, in the United States. So on the west coast of the United States, about a couple miles uh, from the border of Canada. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, it's very beautiful. It's uh, yeah. surrounded by water and uh, mountains and uh, forest. It's very beautiful. Nice. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about Istanbul. I'm, I'm curious. So what was that like growing up in, uh, in that country? Um, well, growing up in Istanbul, it's a bit... Uh, hectic with the traffic and the long distances but it's also a very beautiful city you know it's very poetic city um, mm. because of the, the the Bosphorus the water and uh, the old Ottoman architecture and so 
yeah, it's it's a very cult highly cultural city as well. So there's a lot to do and a lot of music and performances and things to do really. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good place to be. I think yeah. So now do you go back and visit quite a bit or are you generally yeah, I go like once or twice a year because my family is still there. Okay. So what what uh, made you leave Istanbul and and uh move out to Amsterdam? Well, I always wanted to live in Europe, so um I was looking at different options in in Europe at France and Germany and Holland. Those were three options. Well, England as well. But in the end, Holland was the one that won because it's a um, beautiful country and it's a peaceful country, uh, fairly equal, everyone. So there's not like a huge class distinction and everybody speaks English. So that was an easy choice. Right. Now, what were you doing before you got into yoga? Uh, pretty serious. What was your life like? Then I was uh, working in television production. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was. Um, I studied communication and media in university, and I wanted to produce TV shows and documentaries. And I was doing that, um, but then. I found yoga and actually I wanted to find a more dynamic way to spend my days, um, not just a lot of desk work and things, but to be a bit more, you know, varied, moving, being active and yoga was the perfect, perfect fit, I think. So tell me about the first time that you uh, experienced yoga and what that feeling was like for you? Well, the first time ever was actually in Asia and I was traveling with um, my ex-boyfriend and back then I thought yoga was very boring actually. <laughs> but there was a moment where I fell in love with yoga and that was when we came back to Holland after traveling and I went to the class of this Dutch teacher in Rotterdam, Brenda, and after that class, I was just completely elated and feeling very light and feeling very good within myself. And that was the moment where I just became committed to yoga. Like I said, when we came out of the class, I said, like, we have to go again next week. Like, this is amazing. And and I did. I went back every week for a year, a little bit longer than a year. And then I started to practice a little bit more. Uh, intensely I moved actually from Rotterdam to Amsterdam and then I started to practice more regularly as well and so once you started getting into that when when did you did you start crossing your mind like hey I want to do this as a profession make this you know kind of what I'm doing on a regular basis for my lifestyle did that start to kind of move in that direction after that yeah, so actually in that first lesson, the teacher, she said to me, you should become a yoga teacher. And I just laughed and I said, no, of course not. But, you know, she kept coming back telling me this uh, every now and then, like, you should be a yoga teacher, you should be a yoga teacher. And um, it was actually 
in 2016 that I decided a little bit before two, yeah, 2016 that I decided to, to do, take the leap and actually do it, get the certification to, to be able to teach. I was already like sharing some knowledge with friends and yeah, but to become like fully immersed in it, then that was actually two years later after practicing mm-hmm. um, that I decided. And then from the deciding point, I also took another year of studying and, you know, really trying to get to know the scene in Amsterdam, get to know all the different studios. And that was the process, basically, how I decided to make it into my profession if you can call it that, yeah. Right, right. So tell me a little bit about the the scene. You mentioned the scene in Amsterdam about yeah, yoga. Yeah. Well, what is it like there? It's it's huge. I mean, there's a yoga studio on like five minutes distance from my house in every direction, you know, north, south, east, mm. west, five minutes. There are yoga studios and Somebody once told me that there were 5,000 yoga teachers in Amsterdam, although I'm not sure about what? that number. <laughs> it's a That's lot. That's crazy. Yeah, there's really a really a, a big like fitness culture here. Everyone wants to be healthy and fit and well. And, and yoga is just one of those things that everybody has to try, you know? So, yeah, there's a lot. What do you attribute that to? Why do you think that is in that area? Area, that it's such a big pull for people wanting that? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, there's also a lot of people experiencing burnouts here and there's a lot of stress. Living in any big city is difficult. And Amsterdam is a small but big city still, you know, and you have the, the stress of city life that can maybe lead people for looking to looking at alternative ways to relax and relax the body and the mind and yeah stay sane in the city so so interesting you mentioned that because you know i've had a lot of these podcast episodes and most of the people i talk to say the exact same thing you just said and now mm-hmm. mind you these are people that are living literally all over the planet from korea so now Amsterdam to all over the United States, they're saying that there's a kind of a collective burnout and mm. different societies. What do you, what is that burnout besides, you know, the city life and stuff? What else do you think is attributing to people feeling like they're burning out so much? Um, I think it might be the kind of, well, times are changing, you know, we have new technologies and we have a mm-hmm. lot of stimulation a lot of sensory stimulation we have a lot of choice actually and maybe also a lot of pressure that people think that they need to be like finding their passion or finding you know Mm. their their purpose in life and that just going to um, a a meaningless job it's 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 you know it's creating this stress it's creating this like discomfort or discontent uh in people's lives like um too much yeah i think it's a combination of that like too much stimulation and too much pressure Mm -hmm. to be you know on instagram you see people like living their dreams and 
uh, getting paid to be on the beach and then you're in an office and you think like i'm you know slaving here for what and it's this it's more of a feeling you know because i'm not saying that every office job is is to be a slave and there's also people who take pleasure out of having a stable job but yeah i think it's that like pressure to be something or it's interesting where is it real pressure is that pressure real for a lot of people or i'm just thinking about it that somebody you may see on a social media site and they seem very happy they actually may not be that very happy even though they're projecting that they're happy on there yeah so then i think sometimes that you're feeling a pressure to become something that's actually not happy for the people who are doing it (laughs) actually you know true yeah i agree i mean if we look at it from a yogic perspective anyway it's you know the the idea is to be content with the way that you are or you're perfect the way that you are or your life is Mm -hmm. so i mean it's what you create it's it's what you manifest so when we manifest lack or we manifest like over stimulation or I'm too busy, you know, this is what people say, I'm so busy, but they're the ones that are <laughs> adding to their schedule more and more. Correct. And so, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a creation of the mind in the end. Mm, course, interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, if from a perspective, like of a yogic perspective, I would say, then it's it's a creation of the mind. But of course, I also wrote, I wrote a blog post about this that it's not it's not all in your mind you know like we also have the external influences like if you have a boss that's always pressuring you and they say uh, yeah you know take your time but i'll have it on my desk by monday then that can also be creating stress if it's if it's too much like yeah it can be the external circumstances sometimes would you say that it's more in your experience I've- observation that it's more of the external circumstances or is it just a you problem is it is it us that we are creating the pressure on ourselves more than other external forces well i think it's a combined effort really i think it's both Mm -hmm. i think it's really both and we have to recognize that and not put also so much pressure on ourselves because again it's it's exactly that. It's if you keep saying, yeah, it's all in my head. I just need to meditate and everything will be fine. And that also doesn't work. It's not, you know, meditation is not a medicine. We also need to look at the circumstances in which we're, you know, placing ourselves, our work environment, yeah. our relationships with others. It can also create pressure and exhaustion. I think there's a lot of exhaustion. I think a lot of people are very exhausted. What I am curious about, or what fascinates me, is that that it is uh, not just in one place. So, like you're telling me about this about Amsterdam, and mm-hmm. then I'm hearing about this when I talk to people literally all over the continent. It seems to be a global phenomenon, not just isolated to. I think the United States here. We think, oh, United States people work too much. They don't take they don't take vacations like Europeans do, things of that. But then we're finding out that Europeans, yeah, Africans, or you know, people in Asia, they're also feeling very similar. 
Yeah, and what's interesting is also that I believe the Netherlands has the highest percentage of part-time workers. So hmm. I think it is true that in the US, people work a lot. They have less holidays. Dutch people, people in the Netherlands have more holidays. They have more time off, and yet they're still experiencing burnouts. And there's a lot of you know exhaustion. So what is it? What is what, it? Uh, no. Yeah. That is the, that is the question. And, and yeah, so, you said it's a global global phenomenon. So I have my thoughts about it. I definitely like see. I like these conversations because I think they're good. Um, they're concrete yet abstract in the same in in both ways. And and one thing I think there's just there are external forces for sure. Totally agree with that. I think what is the common denominator among all of these societies? I think it's the technology. The technology is the common denominator. Yeah. In all this. Everybody, what I think is that technology and specifically smartphones have invaded every socioeconomic class and country almost in the world. It That's is. True. Yeah. Right? It, 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 it yeah. has jumped every boundary in society. Yeah. So that's to me. I like that's the that's a common denominator is that people are glued to their device or technology, and the amount of information they're taking in is so incredible that is overwhelming their decision making as well. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And also, there's the pressure to to respond now to you know mm. check your emails at ten in the night and just send a reply but then your mind is on work mode and right yeah what's yeah. interesting i've seen both sides of it where the the need to respond quickly but it very interesting enough and in, in my businesses and and other people i know i've seen the opposite where having too much connection paralyzes people ability to get back to each other actually so then you have this other spectrum is like you're receiving the information but because there's so much of it, it's taking you so long to actually get back to people. So it becomes a black hole. So you're getting both sides of it as well. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting indeed. It's fascinating. On the other hand, I mean, I also am um, doing this. I'm texting at night with people from LinkedIn or I'm checking mm -hmm. emails at night and sending replies, but I'm not having a burnout. I, I still take immense pleasure from my work, from my work that I do. Okay, maybe I don't work so many hours or I don't see it as work. That's also the thing, what I'm mm. doing. I mean, yeah, literally, so. I feel similar to you, uh, Sarah, actually. I feel, and I'm glad you brought that up. Actually, I'm thinking about that. And I think I have a very similar thing. I respond to people quite very quickly. I enjoy being punctual and making sure that people know that um, their time is important to me. Um, but I never feel burnt out with it. But I'm also mm -hmm. not working kind of a standard job yeah. life. You know, all my work is remote. It, mm -hmm. it is kind of I have these parts of my day where I can just be very still and unplugged. And I think maybe for, for a lot of people, they just they're on a cycle. Mm -hmm. It's a very continuous cycle that they're not able to unplug at all, or at least they yeah. don't think they are. Yeah, I think that's also it, isn't it? It's about taking enough rest, taking care of yourself. 
taking those moments when it's possible and actually making that time uh, useful in, in your recovery, in your restoration. I, I have a friend that he, he said, like, I never stop because I know if I stop, I'm going to crash. And he was always busy, always with people doing this, the next project and every moment just full. And one time he came to one of my classes and he, at the end, it was the first time ever doing yoga. And at the end he said, I said, how was it? And he said, I hated it. I said, why did you hate it? And he said, because I wanted to cry through the whole thing. Uh. And it was like, well, he kept telling everybody that he hated the class and it was because he was confronted with himself he just took a moment to pause and self-reflect that's what yoga is I mean it's not like I was there to make people cry but so I think it's those yeah it's it's not about yeah it's it's maybe it's about this it's like not stopping not pausing not reflecting and just keep going, pushing, pushing, whatever it is, even if it's going out with friends and drinking alcohol, you're still not restoring. Some people think I sit on the couch and I drink a beer and that then I'm resting, but it's not resting to sit on the couch and drink a beer. It's actually still a way of keeping the mind busy, keeping the mind distracted and real rest and restoration, it comes when we stop and really become silent and really slow down and, yeah, just let the, the thoughts come up, let the emotions come up, let them move around. What do you yeah. think? Um, I'm interested in your perspective. I've asked this to you know different people, but what do you think? Why do you think people are are worried or scared about confronting their own thoughts? Um, because I think that some people think that they are their thoughts. Hmm. And so if then the idea is if I'm having negative thoughts, I am a negative person or yeah, I think that that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize that thoughts are just a natural process of the human brain firing up relating to the world around us constantly and we're going to have irrational thoughts and we're going to have crazy thoughts and we're going to have you know maybe great ideas which are coming from our thoughts and some pointless ideas too and mm -hmm. I think the real peace and that's also part of the yoga practice is to understand you're not the thoughts the thoughts are just your mind trying your brain trying to make sense of the world in one way or another and well when we're not our thoughts you know again it comes back to this well in a way you are what you think but you don't you what you think doesn't make you that what you're thinking if, if that makes sense you know yeah of course if, well, of course, if I think every day negatively, then my experience of the world will be more negative. If I think everything around me is bad, then my experience of the world will be bad. But doesn't the thing is that we need to realize that it's in our hands and we can change that. And so, But in order to change it, we need to look at it. And when we look at it, it can be scary, it can be confronting, but in a way it's also uplifting to look at it because you... We give it a space to exist. 
Yeah, totally. And I think that's that's the kind of real kind of conundrum of the, the time we're living in is that the amount of information that is going through us that we're consuming is so big that it is causing a lot of burnout, which in many ways I think is interesting that it's pushing people more towards mindful practices. And sometimes I'm, sometimes I think we kind of needed this to push us. Sometimes you need a force to push you towards something. Um, it's interesting because I think it's like, well, well, what if we didn't have this stuff? Well, we didn't have it at one point, mm-hmm. but then we have it and there's, there's unintended consequences of having so much data, um, come through you. But I think maybe one of the unintended consequences in a positive way is pushing people more towards exploring who they are as a person and not judging that so much, but look at it and say, hey, these are just mm-hmm. my thoughts. They don't necessarily represent who I am. And I need to confront this. I need to have that reflection of who I am. It's kind of that whole term of looking yourself, looking at yourself in a mirror. It's scary for a lot of people to look at back at yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, to me, I think is kind of the the time we're living in is that there is an awakening in some ways of people looking at themselves and saying, who am I? And I think that's a very powerful question that somebody says, who am I? And in many times in human history, we haven't really thought that so much. You know, I've talked about this in other podcasts about, you know, we're, if you look at ancient people, they, you know, you spend a lot of time surviving and hunting for food and trying, you know, the lifespan's not that long, but we're living longer. We have more conveniences than ever. The struggle, obviously there's struggles in the world, but more people are able to have a life where they can question their existence. And what are they doing with that existence? Hmm. I think it's a fascinating time to be alive. Yeah, I mean, I think there's also a lot of... um... I mean, historically, what it was considered normal to be doing now, let's say, like, I just turned 30 this year. So there's certain pressures around this age where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, 30, then you're finally a real adult and, and <laughs> you have a mortgage and you should have a house and you should have this and that. But the world is like much more populated. There's much less money to be divided amongst everyone and perhaps you know in this time it's more difficult especially in Amsterdam to get a mortgage to buy a house Mm. so the way that the world is progressing what we have seen in the past what you would think would be the normal thing it's not the same anymore and also people are living until an older age so maybe 30 is the new 20 and right I think in a way we're also confused you know because we want maybe we think uh, if it would be like this everything would be normal everything would be okay but the world is changing at such a pace that we, there's an unknown also in front of us that we're facing that we are living right now we're kind of living in an unknown because that's it's impossible anyway to predict the future really i mean you can sure. say but but you can't predict the future and so we're trying to predict our own future or make our own future based on what we know from the past, but it's, it's not the same. So we can't really recreate. And 
I think that also creates like some of the modern day struggles is that thing about what do you think you need to do? And it's also coming back to that thing that people think they need to be living their passion. And mm -hmm. I don't think everybody needs to live their passion or find their passion or not today, you know, not especially not if, <laughs> not if you're desperately trying to find it or, you know, crying about that you don't have it, you know. Love that. Mm -hmm. Love that you brought it up. That's a unique viewpoint mm -hmm. that... I don't, I haven't heard from a, a lot of my podcast guests, but that's why I talked to a bunch yeah. of people is mm -hmm. I read a fascinating article on outside magazine and by an author, this guy who's very, he's kind of an anti pusher passion thing. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like, listen, everybody, just what you said, everybody's trying to do, be passionate about something, do what you're passionate mm -hmm. about. And, and sometimes, you know, he, 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 well, he talked about how like people, you know, there's this thing, at least here in America, people go, quit your job. Mm -hmm. Just do what you're passionate about. Just go off and do whatever. Do something that, you know, throw caution to the wind and just follow your passion. That is not realistic mm -hmm. for a lot of people all the time. Yeah. You know, that's this kind of nomadic existence that is being um, romanticized or sensationalized. Like, yes, go and backpack mm -hmm. Europe for six months. Forget your other things you have have in life just go and be free and yeah. it sounds amazing but what's the reality behind that you know yeah yeah exactly and and when it's forced i mean when it's not coming naturally it's not even going to be that the dream experience whatever it is i mean yeah a lot of people when i tell them you know that they ask me what do you do and i tell them i'm teaching yoga oh, wow, how amazing, uh, you do what you love. And then they start immediately like, oh, I need to find this thing. Uh, yeah, I'm stuck in this job. And well, I tell them, hey, look, I mean, you've got financial security. You know, you know, you have no concern when you're spending money. At least you don't have to create your work. I mean, those are the challenges that I face in, in doing what yeah. I love. It's not all, you know, butterflies and roses at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the work yeah. that I do, I do alone. I don't have colleagues. I miss going to an office and saying good morning to my colleagues and, you know, spending lunch together. Those, there's a trade-off. And I think that especially, you know, it's important that you have a solid foundation before you quit your job and go and try to live your passion. If you want to really do that if you want to start your own business if you want to be an entrepreneur like get the knowledge get the information build the foundation before you jump off the ship into the water you know know that you're going to float otherwise that's also where people get into this burnout where they're like jump into okay i'm going to be an artist i'm going to sell my arts hey quit my job and then they got so much pressure to to make the money to pay the bills they're just having anxiety attacks and not being able to create anything and then ending up going back to an office job maybe even feeling like a failure so it's best i think to like really try to you know make that solid foundation what i did was take a year while still continuing my job and get to know the studios understands how does it work you know, really work on building that solid practice of my own. 
and then you gotta work hard you know and you gotta work hard also when you don't want to work those are the also <laughs> and there's nobody to motivate you and if you're gonna take an hour off and i'm sure you know this like if you're just mm -hmm. procrastinating for an hour it's nobody else's time or money it's your own yeah so those are the things where yeah it's not all yeah if you love what you do it's really a rewarding thing no doubt but it's not i don't think it's mandatory for everyone you can also love music and just play your guitar on the weekends you know <laughs> yeah you don't have to become a paid musician you but, know what yeah. wow you're so right you're so right i it's interesting i i totally am in line with that i think you know i i i've had i i worked in a um in a gym setting, you know, a luxury gym setting for over a decade. And I loved it. It was great. And, but it, it was a, it was a training ground for, for me to move on to my own businesses and health and mm -hmm. wellness and be able to work from home or wherever I'd like. And, you know, sometimes I'll tell people, Oh man, they're like, you're living the dream. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. but I, I would say it's not always like amazing all the time. Like just cause you're doing something you love doesn't mean it's like amazing all the time. There's, yeah. there's real work that has to be done and really you're either fulfilling your own, you know, uh, desires and getting things done or you're not getting things done and that falls on you. It's mm -hmm. not some other person that needs to get this done or that done. You are the creator of a lot of things and how hard you work, which is very hard, I think is, uh, in many ways determines how far you want to go, but love that whole thing. Like just because you're into something doesn't mean it has to be your job. Like yeah. in, like you said, music, you could just be like, oh, I like creating music just for fun. Doesn't mean I have to monetize it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And also, I mean, the, the risk, let's say, is that when my hobby is yoga, my job is yoga, then I, it's not really a hobby anymore, you know, and then right. you find new hobbies. And this is something that I struggled with because when I started making yoga into a profession, my whole life was yoga. You know, I wake up thinking about yoga. I go to bed thinking about yoga and I didn't feel like I had any free time anymore because everything was about this, about creating, creating and teaching and sharing and I was going crazy. I was like, I need to find another <laughs> hobby because I need to switch off from yoga sometimes now. Like it was yes. just becoming everything. In the end, I gave up. I couldn't find another hobby. You know, it's it's just my passion. I accept it. You know, I, I accept this is this is it. It's, it's not a curse, you know, like yoga is a very good thing to be, let's say, almost obsessed about. But it, th this is also a risk, you know, if you want to like follow your passion, then your passion becomes something different. It's not anymore that hobby or, or that thing that you do because it's me time. Like now it's, it's much more than that. Much yeah, more totally smiling. true. Yeah, my, my, my wife has a friend. This is a great example. My wife has a friend that she's known for 30 years and they grew up together, childhood friends, and she's always been this amazing artist. I mean, she did a, a beautiful portrait 
painting for our wedding. And she's just, every time I see her work, I'm like, this is amazing. When I was in my 20s, I used to tell her, you should, you know, become an artist like and make money off this. And I remember this clear as day. She said, I don't want the pressure to produce paintings for money. I just want to do it when I feel like doing it, when I feel inspiration, when I want to do something, you know, for to make me feel almost meditative to do it. I don't want it to make it a job and she say because it would change how I viewed painting and and being an artist. And I, I didn't get that back then. Because I was kind of raised like, hey, you do. If you can find that thing, if you're really good at this, then you should, that should be your job type mm. of thing. But I understand now as a 41-year-old man that not just because you're – there's several things I'm pretty good at, but they're not my profession. <laughs> you know, I just like doing them just because I enjoy it. Yeah. And I think that sometimes people are pushed into – do what you love, follow your passion, monetize it, monetize it, become mm. famous, become rich, yeah. be big on Instagram, get a bunch of followers and stuff. It's okay to toil in obscurity just because you want the joy of it. Yeah. You don't want other people to have to acknowledge that you're doing it to make it enjoyable mm. for you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really well said, actually, definitely. To not have to be acknowledged by others, yeah. And it's just for you, you know, it's just because you it's like just for to, you. Yeah. I find that as I've gotten older, that that has become a bigger part of my existence is I just want these things for me. I don't want to have to build it to something so that it is acknowledged by the world or validated by the world to be good mm. or important. And I think that's probably one of the things I struggle with early about social media and things and that this drive or societal drive to have likes to have as many followers or you know whatever that is to go viral and i remember i would tell i you know in the last five years i say i don't want to i'm not trying to go viral or anything like that i'm just doing it because i like it my podcast is is something i just like to do it's i'm not trying to become the biggest podcast in the world i just enjoy doing it and i enjoy helping others have a voice Mm. That's it. That's literally it. I, it's not something that I'm focusing on monetizing to become such, like my new job. Podcasting is not becoming my new job. It's not. It's just what I like to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting perspective. Uh, I think to have that perspective, say, hey, this is just for me. And it's not for the world or for monetary consumption. Because I think, especially in America, we are a very capitalistic society where everything should be monetized. You're doing that, make money off it. You're doing this, try to make money off of it type of thing. And it's very counterintuitive for a lot of people here, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that also, like that drive about if you do something, if you think you do it well, why not, you know, try to make it bring you something back. But I think in the end, yeah, it might be, it, then it has a cost also. When you try to make money from it, it costs you. Uh, it costs you a little mm. bit of your pleasure because if you're thinking about just simply like, I take a photo, I share it on Facebook and it only gets two likes and all of a sudden 
it's like, oh, it's not good. They don't like it. Why don't they like it? <laughs> it gets a hundred likes. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's really good. And yes. Coming dependent and even these like uh, algorithms on Facebook, it might just be that people didn't get to see that photo and they didn't mm -hmm. like it because they didn't see it. But yeah, we're starting to attribute value based on the feedback getting through social media and also i mean sometimes i share some things on facebook like longer text and i'm thinking oh yes you know people when they read this they're gonna think oh they're gonna have their you know minds expanded <laughs> yeah. new philosophy but then i reflect for a moment when i'm scrolling I'm browsing I just look if it's relating to me in some way maybe I take a moment I read it I like it the majority of things like it's maybe one out of ten things that really touch me you know that because it's it has to touch the person directly as well for them to react and then just simply clicking a like you know it doesn't tell you anything about how does it really affect the reader and so whatever we perceive as as the poster it's it's just our own imagination you know and and yet we're attributing it to certain people and i don't know it's also i think it it's also a little bit detrimental for our social bonds and our social relations because it's so easy to you know support someone by just liking all their posts on facebook and instead of they're not showing up to their event and being there when they're actually hosting an event rather than just clicking that you're interested or you know it's become easier to just like try be in someone's life but very superficially yes and, and also in the other way that we have people who are in our lives but are only superficially and it's not with a bad intention i think it's with good intentions. It's just that this this portal, this system, it's making it more superficial. I totally agree. And it's it's literally the reason, one of the biggest reasons why I have a long format podcast, because I can't get to know somebody through that portal you're talking about in a very, like, okay, this whole time we've been speaking, I know what it would take me so long to know these thoughts that you have just by typing them to you or looking at something you may have written. Like within mm -hmm. this amount of time, I have learned an incredible amount of information about your thoughts and how you feel about these particular things because we're talking, because we're having an in-depth conversation about thoughts, ideas, concepts, lifestyle, um, technology, and my mission in a sense is to get people to talk again and say, Hey, let's talk to each other. I know I met you on this, on this platform and we don't know each other, but what if we had a conversation and it was meaningful? Hmm. It was really transformative because humans do amazing things when they talk to each other in this way and, and concepts, ideas, thoughts, and feelings. And for me, I wanted to ask, how did you come to this mindset? I mean, you seem to have a very advanced mindset about thinking about these things. Where does that come from? 
Oh, well, studying, studying um, a lot about human psychology, about human relations. I've been studying um, a little bit of neuroscience, like mm -hmm. just um, more for the for the, uh, the layman's, you know, neuroscience, like understanding. I really, I mean, part of what I teach is yoga, but I say it's more um, trying to understand human. So I want to know what is this human, this creature, you know, that's mm -hmm. got this complex mind, that's got this, you know, perspective that every single person has a unique perspective right we have these two eyes from which we look out onto the world you know if you look at yourself all you see is your hands or maybe you see your you know your trunk and your legs but you know you don't never see you and I've come to realize that as what you were just saying that people do great things when they are interacting with others and I think well I exist because of you like in this moment right we're having this mm. interaction but in this moment I exist because of you because you're giving this space for me you're seeing me in through your eyes right and I'm seeing you so your yes. existence is also based on my perspective my perception and also my existence that we're bouncing energy off each other and that's what's creating this field of us in this moment and yeah more studying this and really trying to understand indeed that every perspective is unique every human brain is created by this network like roots of a tree that is just constantly evolving based on every moment that you you live when I walk out on the street every single person on the street is creating my reality it's imprinting on my brain and then you know you get to explore a little bit more okay these constructs that we have believed in or we've ingrained that they're cultural and I guess also traveling I've been traveling around in many different countries and I think that also enriched my perspective in the sense that I realized it's so different no, what if you're in Holland and then you get on a plane for 18 hours and you go to Japan? It's so different, you know. They just yes. values are different. Even uh, I've been in China where the body language is different. The numbers that they show, we show with our fingers one, two, three, four, five, like they have different symbols. And then you see, well, you can't really like go about claiming some things are right or some things are wrong and yeah I think it's, it's a lot of this and studying and a lot of self-reflection as well you know I've been working on myself because when you're a yoga teacher first you're a yoga student you know and that's being a student is forever this is also part of what I love about what I do is that I'm constantly evolving and I need to be evolving in order to give the best knowledge, to share the best information with my students that are the most up to date or I don't know. Wow. I got to tell you, that's amazing. I mean, I recently arrived to these things like the last three or four years. You're 30 and you have, in my assumption, you have arrived to these things already 
many ways. So uh, imagine when you're my, my age, you'll be extremely enlightened. <laughs> you'll be like, whoa, you know, it's, I mean, really amazing. What have you learned about yourself in the 30 years you've been alive? What do you think you've learned about yourself? Oh, well, I don't know how well, a lot of things. I mean, that's also constantly changing. Um, what have I learned about myself? Self, well, this is difficult to answer. I mean, it self, is. self is, is a, yeah, you were saying, like asking, who am I? Right? That's yes. what I about who I am. Very difficult question. It know. is extremely difficult. I, <laughs> you know, what's interesting is uh, I tend to get on these roles where I ask stuff like this. I mean, I'm interested in these type mm -hmm. of conversations and, and um, I like difficult questions. Um, I think, you know, I've been on a lot of podcasts. I've, I've done a lot of these. And I think a lot of times what we speak about is very surfacy and we don't, we don't look at ourselves inward too much. But I am fascinated completely by that by every person I meet for that. So mm -hmm. maybe I'll answer it myself, maybe for some perspective. So if somebody asked me that, mm -hmm. I would say my 41 years, the probably some of the biggest, biggest things I've learned about myself is that I am capable of more things as a human being than I thought I was capable of when I started really thinking of myself in my 20s, when I started thinking, who am I? I'm capable of a tremendous amounts of compassion and love and that I could do a lot of great things that don't necessarily, that are not necessarily reported by the world. Um, I think my perspective, I've learned that my perspective can radically change in a short amount of time. And, and that uh, I've learned that I'm capable of, of love, tremendous amounts of love in my life and but also they're not capable of being very angry in the right situation you know d depends or and there's that i'm just capable of so many things that i am not limited by the things i think or the world tells me i'm limited by mm. um that there is there as i grow i was telling my wife the other day i said i always feel like i'm building something i'm building some ship i'm building something i don't even know what it is but i'm constantly building it and I think we are humans are great architects and we, we, we create amazing things and we create destructive things. We're capable of good, bad, of yeah. tra tragedy, triumph. We're capable of so much, but we're, we also great at limiting ourselves too. We're, we're great limiters of our own experience. And, uh, so I think we're, we're vastly complex yeah, organisms, you know, we limit ourselves, but we also are beautiful in that we can grow ourselves in mm. tremendous ways at the same time. That's a big answer. I know I just came here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's really, it's really true and very interesting what you say about this, that we have this endless capacity for creation and yet we limit ourselves. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that we limit ourselves? What is the drive behind that? Great question. I think that um, we're sometimes, this maybe sounds weird, but I think we're afraid to be great sometimes. I think there's people who 
like, listen, I want to push this to the max. I want to see what I can do, what we can do for the world. And they're not afraid of where mm -hmm. that takes them. Because often when you're doing something that is daring, amazing, risky, um, adventurous, or maybe counterculture, as you said, there's a cost to that. There's a real cost mm -hmm. to that. And I think some people recognize that cost and they go, so what? I still choose it. And I think sometimes people, they may see the things that they can do and they're afraid of their power. They're afraid of it, to use it. Because they go, you know, once I do this, then people are going to expect me to keep doing this. They're going to expect me to live up to this. And sometimes people do not want the pressure to live mm -hmm. up to their what they can actually do in their life. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, fear. Fear. Fear to right? step into those shoes, yeah. Once you became a yoga instructor, you know, it's like a student, you're a life student. Of course, you're a lifelong yoga student. But once you became an instructor, you you crossed a, uh, a portal where people yeah. start seeing you in a different light. Sarah now, she's a yoga instructor. And as you become more advanced in your yoga practice and people know what you're doing. So then, they go, OK, now I have a different expectation of Sarah. No, she yeah. is still a student, but now she has ascended to a different version of that. People are afraid. Sometimes they're like, mm -hmm. I just want to like hop over a low bar of expectation. I don't really want. We have this idea mm -hmm. that everybody wants to be famous, like everybody wants to have all these eyes on on them. You know, not everybody wants that. They don't want the pressure of having to look a certain way all the time, express themselves in a certain way all the time, act in a certain way. Sometimes people just want to exist without being known. Yeah, they just want to be left alone. Right. Just to do their thing. Yeah, it's true. And with being a yoga teacher, there's also some expectations about, you know, how do you live your life? How do you yes. go about your, your way in society? And yeah. You think like people think like a yoga, a yoga instructor, a yogi, they say, okay, this person's a yoga instructor. They, they must be perfect. They yeah. must always practice meditation and they're always enlightened. They're always in alignment with what's good, what's bad, how they, their mind is so clear. And I always tell people, don't, yeah. don't think of, but people are, are messy. Just because mm -hmm. somebody is practicing something that is very enlightened or spiritual or whatever, doesn't mean they don't mess up a bunch yeah. <laughs> or, that, or that they're not struggling with something. It's not what you think it is. You know, I, it's funny. Somebody might look at somebody going, oh, look at them. They did that yoga pose in Paris in front of the Eiffel Tower. They must have their life together. What about that makes their life be together? What oh, does that yeah. have to do with that? You know? And I've met a lot of yoga teachers that were much more stressed out and much more all over the place than you know, can be some friend of mine that works a nine to five job in an office, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I've had this, the one, one week I was teaching 16 classes in that week, which is quite a lot of classes mm -hmm. to be present, to give your energy. And then I spoke to a friend at the weekend and 
He said, how was your week? I said, oh, honestly, it was uh, pretty stressful. And he's like, come on, you're a yoga teacher. You're not allowed to be stressed. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so, you know, okay, I'm practicing. It's a, it's a philosophy. It's good for my body, but I, it's an energy that I'm giving. And, you know, my work is still work and it's still you know, an expenditure of energy that's going out from me physically, mentally, emotionally. And yeah, I think that, yeah, people do expect, especially with yoga, that you have this like white, you know, perfect life, peaceful, and everything must be peaceful. But (laughs) you become emotionless because we practice yoga. There's still the whole range of anger, joy, sadness, you know, all the whole range of emotions still exist. It's just that you begin to reflect more on the emotions and you begin to recognize and become more of the witness. So yeah, you do have more peace, but you know, certain things, they happen in a moment. It's not that we become like a robot with everything (laughs) controlled. Yeah, exactly. You are not. It's a perception that people. We all have perceptions of different things that people are doing, you know. And and so then we judge those those things. And we say, oh, you're you're a yoga instructor, man. You just must be peaced out all the time. You're chilling. You're relaxed. Well, that's not the world we live in all the time. I mean, there's you have normal things that happen to you and different struggles yeah. and. I have the same thing. I work from home and people always, oh, you must be, must be nice just to sit there and relax. I'm like, yes, it is. But I also have other things that are incredibly busy for me. So I think we all misunderstand each other in many ways. And that's why I think we need to have these type of conversations. I'm much more interested in knowing somebody's mind, mind, their thoughts, their feelings, how they view themselves, it gives me a great window into how they behave as a human Mm -hmm. being. And I mean, there's barely anything I know about you. And a lot of surface things, who knows if you like coffee or not, you like beer, if you like where you like to go dancing, I don't know any of those things. But I am gathering a lot of data on a lot of conceptual ideas, a lot of human behavior ideas that you have. That's way more important to me than the other things. To know how you think, to understand how you process information, how you process being a human being. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. Like I asked you, what have you learned about yourself in the 30 years of your life? But you could ask the opposite. What would you like to learn about yourself in the next 30 years of your life or that? Mm-hmm. That it's also difficult. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That, that is a really good question, actually. What would you like to learn about? Well, yeah, this is really a, a good question. <laughs> I like to push people <laughs> on these, in these ways. You know? Yeah, I, I would love to learn about myself. I would love to learn more about, yeah, what are my... Um, you know, my automatic thoughts, my my conceptions that are coming from my past, my family, my history that are maybe 
the places where I hold myself back, where I limit myself so that I can really like give more, give more to the world, like with more free sense of freedom, maybe. I mean, I, I think I do to some extent, but I think there could be much more. I know that there are places where, because you have those moments where you realize something that you always knew, but you didn't know that you knew. And yes. I think there's going to be a lot more of that, of course, coming in my life as you get older, you get a lot more settled and uh, things become a little bit more easy, I think, when you get a little bit older. So it would be nice to yeah, see those limitations rather. I think also some people as they get older, maybe they start to limit themselves even more because you have some things which you can reference back you say oh i'm not a good runner you know simply simple mm -hmm. example oh i've never been a good runner i tried i did two marathons and it was terrible and you just don't do it anymore and so yeah if i could if i could have a choice would be to like instead of becoming more and more limited based on what i've experienced is to become more and more open based on what I've experienced, that mm. this experience would be like a door opening to, to more possibilities and more space, mental space to create and to experience life. Because there is so much to experience in life, you know, much wow. more what we see and what we perceive. That, well said. Yeah. Wow. Well said. I tell you what, that is probably very similar to my own answer, honestly. And if I could expand upon mm -hmm. that, I would say I do agree that people sometimes they get older, they limit they do limit themselves more. In many ways, people shrink their lives as they get older. They say, well, I did that when I was in my 20s or when I was in my 30s. I did that, mm -hmm. but I'm too old for that now or I'm mm -hmm. at this point where I just I'm just settled in for the end of my kind of the twilight. People say, you know, the twilight of my life. So mm -hmm. they create these constructs of the end for themselves and yeah. they stop. They stop living. They just go, OK, I've created this box. Now I'm going to go and live in this box and this cage. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I've done these things before. I can't possibly go back to them. Now, I think that's a dangerous place to be in because you've stopped you've stopped the process of becoming a greater version of yourself. You've stopped learning. You've stopped growing. You say, this is it for me. And I am strongly opposed to that idea that I want to break through barrier after barrier after decade after decade and continuing to see if I, if I, am, if I am able to live for a really long time, I think to myself, I have the capacity to grow to something really amazing mentally physically all mm -hmm. i what what could i do what could i become over a long period of time if i kept growing and stopped limiting myself that's an amazing concept i think to push yourself towards versus i've done that already yeah that was my time i had a good time now i'm just kind of like i'm just retiring you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I once I had a student in one of my classes who was on one of my retreats and she was 70 years old. 
and she'd been practicing yoga for 40 years and physically wow. her body her practice it was just strong stable flexible and a lot of people they say ah, i'm too old for yoga you know i'm too rigid and you know seeing this lady this 70 year old lady practicing yoga was for me it was the moment that the body doesn't give up on you unless you give up on the body exactly a lot of people they give up on their body they say yeah i've got a bad back so i'm not going to do it and there are you know there are also these examples phenomenal examples of people who recover from you know severe spinal injuries where they've been told that they're not never going to walk and they say yes i am and they do it you know and there there we see it there's so much power in the mind and it's, it's so much power in in the sense that you can also be blocking that that you can be putting obstacles in your own path and so yeah i think i i also question every time i hear somebody telling me something thing where they're generalizing oh i'm always like this or i've always been like that i say how many times have you experienced that is it two three times that makes you <laughs> say always like was that every single day of the past of your life or you know what is always what is this term that you so loosely throw out people don't sometimes often we don't realize when we talk like this that what we're doing is actually blocking and maybe it's a choice like you said some people they don't want to be pushing themselves to look at themselves yeah. i think it's true i struggle with that sarah so much i i remember um i stories are kind of my thing i love stories because it's a great way for humans to learn from each other but I remember when I was in my 20s, I was when I got married to my wife, and I remember we were going past this factory, big, huge factory in the United States. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if like everybody in that factory and like was pushing themselves to do more in life? Like, why do they want to work in that factory? And she's like, you know, not everybody wants to be you. Not everybody wants to see how far they can take their life. She's like, I'm not saying that some of those people don't want to do that, but they're just some people. They just want to live a very simple existence. They don't want to question their existence, why they're here, how they can become more enlightened version of themselves. They just want to work. They want to go home. They want to spend time with their family. And they want to repeat that over and over again. They don't have the desire to do other things beyond that. And I think that was very difficult for me to hear. And but I understand it now as I continue to grow is that my desire to do more to this conversation we're having is dreadfully boring to somebody. It dreadfully. They're like, why would you talk about this? <laughs> like, why would you question what you've done <laughs> for 30 years? Why do you care about who am I? Who are you? You're just mm -hmm. here. Just do your thing, work, make some money. I get it. There's people who are like, I tune that out because it's not what I want. And I just have to understand that, that who I am is very unique to who I am. Mm. And I'm going to meet some. But the, the thing for me is I want to be around other people who think these thoughts that I'm thinking. Because I don't want to limit myself. I don't want to just 
to have this whatever passing through the day, yada, yada, yada. I'm building something. I don't know what it is, but I'm constantly building towards this more enlightened, greater, uh, uh, just conceptually minded person. I, it's, I don't know if I'll ever reach it, but I, my practice is to always reach for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's no harm in being in that sense, like not striving to question and just living that so-called simple existence. It's, it's also yeah. perfectly fine. Um, yes. But indeed, as you said, like if you do want to keep growing and you want, then that's when it kind of ties back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the conversation about does your, is it about what's in your mind or is it also the environment? And I think indeed then the environment is very important. The people that you surround yourself with and the people that you converse with, if you're spending your time in a factory and you want to grow spiritually and your colleagues don't care and this conversation is utterly boring to them, it's going to bring you down. It's going to hold you back. So those are the times when you should go out and seek, you know, to be with those people who are of the same mindsets and maybe even a little bit further than you so they can bring mm -hmm. you up. You know? I think that I read something about this, that you should surround yourself majority of people that are more successful than you in what you want to achieve because they're going to help you to grow. And if you surround yeah. yourself with, with the wrong kind of people, so it's wrong for you, it's going to just, yeah, it's again, it's creating the obstacles in your own path. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Totally true. It's kind of a, as I think about what we're speaking about, there's this juxtaposition of, <clears throat> excuse me, of growth and limitations and this kind of fight between the two and that there's you know there's a lot of stuff online about a growth mindset conquer this move forward but i think it's it's also honest to have the discussion and go do i want that do i want to push myself that hard do i want to explore my humanity that much and some people will say yes and some people will say i don't have an interest in that and mm -hmm. for me, I'm at a place in my life where I'm okay with somebody telling me either one. It just might be if somebody says, hey, I'm not interested in more of these concept-based things or like recently I've been like studying more like quantum physics and stuff. Not like I'm going to do anything with it. I don't know. I'm just fascinated by it, you know? Mm -hmm. And having discussions related to that and honesty and self-deception. And, and yesterday I had a guy on a podcast, we were talking about neurogenesis related to neuroscience like that's where my mind is currently and where how people think yeah if i i i can get in a conversation with somebody who doesn't want to talk about any of those things but i'm probably not going to move towards them quite a bit and my growth with them if they don't really care about any of those things that i'm discussing or that so it's okay mm -hmm. that's okay everybody wants different things but i think um now we're though in a time where there's so much access to so many things. It's like, what do I want to give my access to at this point? Yeah. So that is, those are some questions, but Sarah, thanks for giving me your time, which I know is very, very valuable. 
and agreeing to be on the podcast and agreeing to have uh, a very, in my mind, a very interesting conversation. So thank you. Thank you too. It's also been very interesting for me. It's been a really good experience. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And um, I look forward to uh, in the future speaking again at, at some other time and just uh, continuing the connection over time. So I really appreciate that. All right. We will. We For will sure. Well, yes. So have a good rest of your day, okay? Thank you. You too. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.